This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Investing with IBD. It's July 12th, 2023, and I'm Justin Nielsen, your host, and joining me, as he always does every week, Arusha Pires, an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. How are you doing, Arusha? Hey, Justin, I'm doing great. I'm very excited about our guest today. Yeah, this is, a, this is a returning guest that we have, Simon Erickson. He's the founder and CEO of Seven Investing. Um, you know, really what's great about having Simon on is uh, it's we, we sometimes will focus so much on the charts, but Simon really likes to get down into the fundamentals. And in this episode, we're going to be talking a little bit about how he finds those hidden gems. Uh, so welcome to the show again, Simon. Uh, Justin, it's my pleasure. It's always nice to be here chatting with you and Arusha for your show. Yeah, uh, it's always great having you, Simon. So um, first off, let's get a little bit into the market. Um, you know, we'll just kind of give a quick overview of the IBD take. And I mean, what 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 can we say? This has been a very well trending market in the Nasdaq Composite. Um, in fact, I was uh, doing some of my market school stuff, and you know, we we have this living above the twenty one day moving average line signal, and this is the longest that we've been moving above that twenty one day moving average line on the Nasdaq Composite. Uh, the, the the most weeks up uh, above that line since two thousand seventeen. So this wow. is kind of getting into. Uh, unusual territory how well we've been trending and one of the things that's you know notable is that we just kind of broke out of this little uh, consolidation area uh nasdaq is is looking great we have a little bit more participation s p 500 is 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 right there uh also kind of getting into new high um recent new high territory uh but the russell 2000 which was uh you know kind of lagging for a while that's started to perk up a little bit. It had a little uh, rough go over the last couple of weeks, but uh, kind of broke out of a little handle, uh, if you want to call that like a cup with handles. So uh, real quickly, Arusha, let me let me get your take on all this. Yeah, I, I think this is in, in many ways a class, the beginnings of a classic bull market, right? The, the market just keeps crawling up. It's climbing that wall of worry. And everyone who waits for a pullback and they're waiting for a, a decent pullback, it, it can be a little shallow, kind of like what we're seeing right now. And we'll see if it, you know, if it uh, getting into new, uh, newer highs right now is kind of emerging out of, out of uh, the pullback is over. But this is almost classic. There are a lot of people who are still uh, bearish on the market who don't believe it. And they might be right. But in the end, the most important thing is the market is always right. And right now, all of the stocks that we like, these growthier type of stocks, they are acting uh, pretty well here. So this is our type of market. And it's, I mean, it is, it's just classic. It's just like what we, we read in the book, what we, we've always heard Bill O'Neill talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, when the, you get these signals, you know, look, try to get in some of these best stocks and give them some time to work uh, because they can go up a lot further than you can imagine. Yeah. So, Simon, uh, what, what's your take? Because I know a lot of times when you're looking at stocks that you're looking to invest in, um, a lot of times you're really digging deep into the fundamentals. And I guess a lot of people, the, the big, biggest concern has been the inflation, uh, the recession fears, soft landing. Um, are all of those still kind of big weights in your mind? Or what, what is your take on the market? How are you approaching 
uh, the, the general market here. Uh, sorry, Justin, but have we said AI yet in this conversation? <laughs> no. uh, I feel yeah. like I don't have any conversations anymore where we don't say AI in the first two minutes. I, I was waiting for it. I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Simon. Otherwise, people would have tuned out. Saying, so thanks. It's so, so reflexive to that. I, I mean, it's, it's uneven in distribution, right? It's going to big getting bigger, the rich getting richer. You know, when you look at the S&P's overall return, 16.7% for the year, seems pretty good, right? But then you look at what's at the top of the market, what's really driving all of those returns, Apple, largest weight in the S&P, 7% weighting, up 45% year to date. Microsoft up 39%, Amazon up 53%. Number four, NVIDIA up 190%. But if you take out the top 10% of the S&P 500, market weighted index, right? But you take out the top 10 uh, percentage of the constituents, the actual S&P 500 as a whole is actually negative in year to date 2023. If you take out those largest at the top 10%. And so this supports what Arusha just said, that I think that there is a bull market that's still waiting and has legs. You know, we've seen there's money going into the biggest, safest bets into this, but the smaller or mid caps that are that are that are similarly participating in these long term growth trends, there's still a lot of money on the sidelines that's just waiting for opportunities and equities in that class as well. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, to that point, I mean, this week was a good example of that. Um, you know, we had a couple days here where the Nasdaq composite was up decently, the Nasdaq 100 up even more, but the Nasdaq 100 equal weighted QQEW was blowing all of those out of the water as Apple and Microsoft and a lot of what we've been calling the Magnificent Seven, uh, those biggest heavyweights, uh, as they pulled back a little bit, um, you know, it, it, it seemed like the breadth expanded a little bit. And one of the things that we look at is the advanced decline line. So uh, in MarketSmith, if you put in GMIAB, uh, you can see the NASDAQ uh, advance and decline line at least has perked up a little bit. Um, you know, this is a 10-day moving average line, uh, that pink line on the advanced decline line. And you can see where we've had a couple times where we've started trending above that, really couldn't you know, last for very long, but here we are, uh, hopefully getting an improved breadth issue uh, here. So does that, does that make you feel a little bit better that it's not just going to be five stocks carrying the, the, the load here? There's still so much money that's parked on the sidelines, right? Yeah. It, last that I looked, it was $5.5 trillion of US assets that are in money market funds. And, in, and I haven't seen the June numbers yet, but I did look at the fund flows in May and we saw 151 flowing, more money flowing into money markets even, even still. Um, it hasn't gone into equities. There, there's still a lot of hesitation. We're starting to figure out, you know, what's Powell going to do? What's going to be the next head nod of the Fed? Are we out of the woods yet or is this just kind of a, a temporary blip? I think that once those questions start getting answered, once there's a little bit more comfort of the macro economy, uh, that's where you're going to start seeing, other than the just safest, largest names at the top of that list, getting a little bit more love in the equity markets. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, when, well, we uh, are I... still, uh, well, we are still getting a little bit, well, we are getting more participation, though, in, in my opinion. I mean, if I, if I look at the XLI, right, the industrials, yeah, they're starting to hit um, some, some new highs. Even energy is now starting to come back. Uh, like, if you look like at a Slumber J, that's had a very, very strong uh, last couple of weeks here. Well, just look at OIH, uh, for in, you know, the yeah, OIH, exactly. is, which is the, yeah, the, the field oil services, services. Um, oil and gas. I mean, that that looks very strong. 
that. So, so that that part's encouraging. Where be, be, where maybe a, uh, a few months ago, definitely it was the Magnificent Seven, uh, and and then it's just slowly kind of broadening out. But now you're starting to, and energy during that time. Remember, it was starting to fall apart. But now you're starting to see a number of these other areas start to come back, uh, and so there are a little bit more options uh, c- coming in there. So, uh, which you know leads to like maybe a little bit more money is slowly coming in the market. But Simon, so, I I totally agree with you. It's uh, there's still plenty of money on the sidelines. But Simon, do you think, uh, you know, what you were saying with money markets kind of being a little bit more attractive, certainly the the rates, <laughs> the rates are a lot more attractive yeah. uh, versus what we've seen in a while. Um, and especially after you get beaten up by a bear market, uh, you know, 4% starts looking really attractive as opposed to negative 20. Uh, so how long in your experience does it kind of take for uh, that to kind of get people off the sidelines, get people out, out of their money markets, especially if they just um, piled into them not too long ago? Uh, Jerome Powell can, cannot cough or sneeze without somebody freaking out and being very concerned about what he just said, right? It seems yeah. every single word is so scrutinized, uh, but he's sticking to his guns on 2% target inflation, right? And that's not going to be something that is easy to achieve, but it's also hard to micromanage the economy. You've kind of got to set the, you know, a, a stake in the ground and say, we're going to go with this and we're going to keep pushing for it until we get there. And, and so I think that we've seen improvements. You know, we, we kind of see these updates and we see that we're making progress, but it's certainly hard to say we're completely out of the woods. Um, I still think that there's a little bit more um, macroeconomic uh, pain, perhaps, in the second half of this year. I think we're going to see unemployment continue to take, take up. We saw it in the tech sector. Tech sectors laid off for 100,000 employees within the last year, calendar year. I think that maybe we're going to see a little bit more on that front. But I think that there's going to be a little bit more of a, um, uh, you know, a little bit more c- contraction of the economy. I don't think it's it's completely out of the woods just yet. And it's just time to start throwing parades and parties again. Right. Well, but it's it's certainly not affected the labor market yet. I mean, we had last week we had the ADP and then that was followed by the jobs report. You know, not not as strong as the ADP, but still uh, labor market, you know, pretty tight. And Arusha, what, what was your take on the 10 year Treasury yield this week? I mean, we did, did see that pop up above four percent. Um, for the 10-year treasury yield, that's at zero TNX on MarketSmith. And then it kind of, well, especially today, really took a really took a downturn. But still, I mean, when you look at how far it's come, uh, that's that's quite a ways. So, so Justin, you know, I, I put the the 10-year on a monthly chart here. And so if this were a stock, I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty bullish on this stock. It looks to me it's a really strong, strong uptrend, and it's just consolidating there, and and looks like it wants to set itself up uh, to go higher. Even though you know, even today with today's pullback there, so uh, this kind of tells me that uh, rates potentially could go even higher, and you know, may, maybe it hits a point where it, they become more of a headwind uh, for a number of these stocks that have been doing well. And then just to kind of tie a bow on this segment, um, you know, looking at the NASDAQ uh, again, as I mentioned, we've been trending above that 21 day moving average line um, for a while. And I guess the question now is, uh, you know, as, as we kind of get back to these uh, highs and, um, you know, the 14,000 level, are we getting extended? Uh, do we need more of a break? As you said, I mean, we have that pull back to the 21 day moving average line. It wasn't much. Um, you know, do we need to kind of get through the summer doldrums? And uh, is that what, what it's going to take? What do you think, Simon? 
I think that, that, that we've got a lot more good news uh, coming up. You know, it, it just maybe the, the quintessential example or the, the poster child of this is NVIDIA that just guided for an $11 billion quarter here in the, in the second quarter. That All-time high, you know, when you issued that kind of guidance, that's not, and they said plus or minus 2%, right? That's not just throwing darts <laughs> out there. I mean, this is this is a really big shift in the enterprise, um, which is directly regulated AI and, and the NASDAQ, like you said. Go tech. There's a lot more growth to come here. Yeah, well done, Simon. Uh, putting AI in in one more time, uh, just just to kind of in case anyone's playing the drinking game at home and you know, taking a shot every time we say AI. Uh, what about you, Arusha? Your take? Uh, you know, it, I I think that uh, we we maybe we a lot of times at the end of July, kind of like what Joe Fami was talking about last last uh, week. A, a lot of times at the end of July, and then. Uh, through August and into September, the markets do have a tendency to take a break. Now, the one exception that, and this is all anecdotal and just kind of from my own experience, that one exception is it's it's been that first year of a bull market where the markets have been able to kind of power through and they don't pull back as much dirt during that time. So if we are in the beginning of a, a, a new strong bull market, yeah, the pullback shouldn't be uh, too bad. But that being said, we're, we're starting earnings season at the end of this week, and we're going to really get into the next few weeks. And uh, when those cards come out, you know, anything can happen. So mm -hmm. so you have to you really do have to be prepared for everything. And uh, I think the biggest thing, it always comes down to risk management, right? The, the biggest yeah. thing is don't buy extended, as you said, Justin. Don't feel like if you missed out on a number of these stocks that you have to run in and buy them right now. Be patient. Let them set up again and manage your risk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I always think of, you know, when people say, you know, sell in May and go away and how the summer don't expect anything. I always think of August of 2007, where we got that follow through day. And I was not having a great 2007. But if I had missed that follow through day in August, um, you know, September and October strong, yeah. made made the year. I mean, yeah. you know, th it was such a strong end to the year. Um, if you miss that, you know, you, you, you kind of missed out on a lot of opportunities. So when we come back, speaking of opportunities, uh, Simon's going to go through some of the ways he screens for these hidden gems and looks for opportunities. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with Arusha Paris, who joins me every week. He's a portfolio manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors. And we also have returning to the show, Simon Erickson, founder and CEO of Seven Investing. Uh, he's been on a number of times, and each time he kind of gives us a take of uh, looking at those fundamentals, really kind of diving deep into what is making the story behind some of these stocks. So uh, maybe the the, the VHS behind the music type uh, situation here. So Simon, when, when you're, when you're finding out all of this stuff and, and let's, let's also just remember you have an engineering background, if I'm not mistaken. Right. That's so right. when you, uh, when you kind of get into the weeds, you, you really can get into the weeds on some of this uh, tech <laughs> stuff. Um, but what, how is it that you find these names? What is it that you're doing to uncover these stories? Um, and how much are work are you putting into kind of, the valuations and the, you know, all of those things. 
getting into the weeds typically means people's eyes start glazing over and checking out when I get into the trenches of the podcast. But okay. it is, it, it, it try to, you know, you, you try to find these big trends, right, Justin? You know, what we try to do is look for the um, the biggest opportunities, in my opinion, in the market happen because there's a long-term trend that's developing. And there's a certain subset of companies that's taken full advantage of that. And if your ears are ringing from hearing uh, too much about NVIDIA or Tesla <laughs> or all these other companies that you know just seem like they're in the headline all the time, it's kind of interesting to kind of peel back the onion to a second layer and say, yes, those companies are great. Yes, NVIDIA is up 190% this year. Yes, Tesla's up 119%. But perhaps there are other companies that are not so followed all the time, that don't have so many analysts following them and so many price targets that are similarly going to take advantage of, of kind of these, these cyclical trends or these long-term just disruptive trends that are out there. And I think that maybe the fun part for me of investing is to go out there and look for some of those. Um, mm -hmm. We chatted earlier in the program about kind of the, the strength of the NASDAQ and we see some, some real important trends that are developing out there. Maybe let's start discussing some of those hidden gems and why actually they might be the next generation of winners here in the next couple of years for, for investors. Mm -hmm. So Simon, I, I guess the, the the one question is, you know, how, how do you stumble onto some of these? Are you just going through uh, the, the 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 value chain, the the supply chain here, and going and trying to figure out, okay, what companies are working with Nvidia, or you know, whatever other big companies, or what new products are there, and and what components are part of it? It's kind of a kind of a three-step process, Arusha, you know, for finding a, a big trend and then riding the wave or taking the elevator to the top floor or riding the escrow, pick your analogy for it. But yeah. kind of the first one of is, 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 is it the right trend? You know, we, we say that, uh, but, you know, there's been a lot of times we see a lot of things that convince us, the hype cycle's job is to convince us that everything is the next big thing. It doesn't always work out that way, right? 3D printing did not actually yeah. put a 3D printer in everyone's living room, right? Cannabis did not yeah. get all of us high all day and then all night, you know, for every single day. Um, commercial drones, you know, are, are still not replacing to a large scale the Amazon vans that are that are driving around. Now, it's not to say those trends won't eventually be very big, but it does seem like sometimes uh, things get overblown out of proportion. But then on the other hand, there are some very important trends, certainly the internet, cloud computing, and now AI, you see the impact on the mass market. And those are the trends you want to go after. Pick the right trends first and foremost. Just real quick, how do you know? Because again, sometimes, as, as you said, there's kind of that that hype that happens. So I guess what what elements do you have to tell you, oh, you got into something that's hyped versus, oh, you got into something that has has some legs to it? And it's crossing the chasm, right? Somewhere on the back there is the innovator's dilemma, like by Clay Christensen. Yeah. But it kind of you know shows that like there are early adopters, techies that are going to get super excited about this thing that they're playing around with as a prototype in their basement. Mm -hmm. But then to really get into the mass market, it's got to have appeal for for everyone, right. right? You see electric vehicles doing that right now. You see AI, you know, and Microsoft's products doing that right now. When you get to that kind of momentum where it's got legs to it, that's where you can kind of separate out. Yes. This is kind of exciting. You talk about it at a trade show at CES versus mm -hmm. this is something that's touching my my life and everyone else's on a daily basis. Okay. So I interrupted you. You were going to go to step number two. Step number two is do not compete against the 800-pound gorilla in the trend. Mm -hmm. um, if Arusha and I want to go start a business today and we say we are so excited, we are going to go compete directly against Elon Musk. <laughs> Probably the worst business idea ever, right? right uh, you, yeah. you want to find ways to complement the, the, the largest players in the trend. Uh, it's good if, if you can go do something that Elon Musk cannot do. It's even better if you can do something that he really needs help doing. 
And so that's kind of the picks and shovels angle that we'll take here today is, you know, don't go head to head and try to squash companies with larger resources and, and more employees and more dedicated R&D and things like that. Find ways to complement them and ride that same wave as they go out and they develop the market and get a lot of people excited about it. If you can't beat them, join them, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and the third step. And the third one is, is follow the money, right? You know, the kind of the old saying of um, great, great success comes from 10% inspiration and 90% perspiration. You know, execution is everything. It's one thing to have a really neat idea. It's another one to capitalize on it, get a lot of funding behind you, get a lot of the right people on board, and then, you know, kind of execute according to your long-term strategic plan. Uh, there's a lot of great ideas that don't go anywhere. And then there's a lot of great ideas that can last for decades. And so if you kind of look at the momentum that some of these early companies are building. Don't, don't just say, oh, that's kind of neat. Oh, they got a great CEO or whatever it might be. Follow the money. Are they attracting a lot of venture capital? Are they attracting a lot of individual investors, institutional investors? They're going to follow the best ideas and push them forward to be more successful. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so maybe you could give us kind of a, a little case study and walk us through um, you know, a, a real life example of how you might approach this with your three-step process. So a great example of this one is Supermicro Computer. Uh, okay. Supermicro uh, is a moniker they prefer. And then SMCI is the ticker that's on this one. Justin, this has gone gangbusters in the last year. Or two. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure this qualifies as a hidden gem because it's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Looks like some people might have discovered this one, right? <laughs> and two years ago, it was a hidden gem, right? Absolutely. You know, when, AI, yeah. when, when AI was just kind of becoming uh, uh, into the limelight and everyone was paying attention to NVIDIA and everything that Jensen Huang was saying, it seemed like the more times you said AI in your conference call, the higher your market cap went every single minute, right? Yeah. But, but it, you know, and we talked about the chip makers, you know, NVIDIA is, is designing the chips, AMD is designing the chips. Uh, you and I have chatted about the chip manufacturers, the Taiwan semiconductors of the world that are actually, you know, mm -hmm. um, got the volumes and, and the production lines and they're producing them. But the, the hidden piece, the missing piece here was what Supermicro did was actually installing them into the servers. Mm -hmm. Right. So you've got all these data centers, you've got all these cloud data centers, you've got corporate data centers. They want to use those processors, but you can't just look at a microprocessor and say, what am I going to do with this right now? It took expertise of a company like Supermicro, who knew how to actually you know, compile those chips, uh, organize them with other types of chips, put together the power, the cooling, you know, get them installed in the server racks. And, and that's not as easy to do as, as it might initially sound. There's a lot of expertise that goes into that. Yeah, but something is that's not kind of sounds boring, uh, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it was, you know, for a lot of a lot of these companies, they didn't want to focus on those things, and so they turned to Charles Lang, who's done this for thirty years, and he worked directly with AMD and directly with with Nvidia, and he said, "Hey, I've got the relationships with the with the big tech companies that have got their own data centers. I've got the relationships with you, Nvidia, who wants to get in with these guys." Let us bridge that gap and make it as easy as possible within a couple of weeks. When you release a new microprocessor that you're really excited about, let's go get into the data centers. And if you've looked at data center growth for, for GPUs for NVIDIA or the, the Epic CPUs for AMD, shooting off the charts just like this stock, part, this stock price chart has been shooting off the charts. Um, good reason for that. They rode the trend and they enabled it for the biggest players. Mm -hmm. So... So kind of going back to your, your three-step process, I, you know, if you had identified the trend um, and who, who some of those big players are, this is kind of, hey, how do I complement them? How do I, how do I work with them in order to um, kind of produce those win-win situations, right? We're, we're going to win because we're uh, doing business with you and you're going to win because 
we're getting your stuff out there quicker maybe than you could, letting you concentrate on your part and we're taking over this part for you. And the uh, the techie eyes glazing over engineering part that, that I'd like to that show. You know, I have 23 graphs I'd like to show now on the program, Justin. But <laughs> right. For no one listening, not really going to do that to you. But the thing that was interesting was that the engineers were saying, hey, too much power consumption for these GPUs, right? These are okay. awesome. They can do AI. You can do everything you want to. But it's too much operating costs because they're using way too much power. And so Supermicro jumped right on that. And they said, you know, what if we could configure them differently? What if we get the most efficiency in terms of watts of power per trillions of operations per second that you're executing on these things in a way that gets your operating costs down and the, and the um, performance that you're looking for. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that alone has gotten this business a, a ton of, of revenue over the years. Well, how much is that uh, of that started earlier? I, I don't know the full story behind that, but that seemed to be when, when you talk about that, that problem, that seems to be like what was behind, uh, you know, the, the blockchain, you know, problem with, Hey, you know, you're, the more you're mining, you know, I mean, it was one thing when it was a little bit easier, but as these problems get more complex, the computing power that's required, um, you know, now you're leaving a, now you're leaving a footprint on the power grid. <laughs> it's incredible. You look at the percentage of the world's power that's just going to to data, you know, to computing oh. stuff in, 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 you know, corporate data centers. And, and it's becoming so complex now, right? Intel did this with CPUs in the data center back in the 90s. And then all of a sudden we started introducing GPUs in the data centers in the 2010s. And now you've got like these complex configurations of NVIDIA's H100s with some other CPUs on the side that are working together to modernize your data center or, you know, to get zero latency for the metaverse. I mean, it, it's almost mind blowing to keep up with it, especially with the innovation pace of this industry. Unless you've got 30 years of expertise doing this and you know, right, like the back of your hand, how to configure these things. Interesting trend and interesting use case for Supermicro there. So, Simon, who are the competitors for, for a Supermicro? Are there any other kind of smaller kind of competitors like this, or just maybe some of the larger kind of names? Globally, in terms of uh, server infrastructure, they have about 5% market share. The okay. largest wow. player in this market is Dell, who only has 17% market share. Wow. That's and, then on, and then Hewlett Packard Enterprise is the other large player with 15%. So very, very fragmented, Arusha. It's been a tough market to make any money in. That's kind of what the market you want to play in if you're a kind of an up-and-coming company that's still very small. It's but, so funny because when you were talking about the, you know, what Supermicro does... It reminded me of Dell making these uh, computers in his college dorm, uh, you know, and, and getting them out or Hewlett and Packard, uh, you know, doing it in their garage. Right. Yeah. So it's I mean, th those were 90s concepts. And, and here we are uh, full circle kind of doing it again, but with um, with different components, more powerful components and trying to solve uh, different issues as opposed to, you know, getting that computing power more available uh to, to people now it's getting that computing power cooled down and working efficiently uh kind of like what you 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 went into this so much about electric vehicles in a past podcast you know it's about getting that power you know to to the engine right yes. and, and it sounds like that's what we're doing here for the ai and and there's an even even uh, another complimentary trend on top of everything we just talked about, which is ESG right now. Uh, Justin, you mm -hmm. pointed out the energy efficiency. Uh, that is a really big trend that you know is getting a lot of um, investor attention right now. And if you if you ever listen to investor presentation from uh, from Supermicro, they're quick to point out, you know, we think that we've saved our customers ten billion dollars in cost savings from using less power 
But hey, also that $10 billion that they've saved, that has um, the, the amount of power that we required for all of that would have been 30 fossil fuel power plants. I mean, oh, they know wow. what they're doing and how they're crafting the message too, yes. because you know, you're know, uh -huh. you saying, hey, less power, but that's also good for the environment. It gets a lot of ESG attention right now. Are they being recognized for that? Like, do they get a high ESG rating because of this? Absolutely. And that's becoming more and more important. We actually just chatted about uh, kind of disclosures and climate change and, and kind of a lot of that for uh, with Seven Investing here this past week. Super important right now. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Arusha, you've kind of gotten a little bit more onto the analyst side, um, you know, not just a portfolio manager, but also an, an analyst. Um, how much of this uh, digging kind of thing, how much of this process is something that you can um, readily do yourself? Is this something anyone can do or is this really specialized to Simon only? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's I understand always... this stuff, right? <laughs> well, I mean, Simon kind of said it right there. I think for anybody, they can always go to the investor presentations and listen to the yeah. conference calls. And you and, and in many ways, that's the best source of information because you're hearing it right from the management, how, you know, how business is actually going. So, so that is definitely a good way. Now, e even for us, we do have a, we have a, a team, right, of, uh, of, of, of analysts who will do digging on, at, uh, on certain points uh, and they are specialized. So we've actually, for, for Super Micro, we have been watching this for, for quite a while. Uh, and, and Romeo, the, our semiconductor analyst, has been talking about, about this uh, uh, really over the last six months. And it, it always kind of, I mean, it sounded interesting, but it also kind of sounded boring. But the, with the way how strong the stock, really, this was one of the first stocks to hit new highs right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Right. And it just refused to correct. And it was just always hitting new highs. And it, it was that bu bucking Bronco. Uh, and so it once the market pressure, the overall larger market pressure kind of released, it's not necessarily too much of a surprise uh, that this has taken off. The problem is, is it's just really hard to get in and manage your risk. Uh, if you weren't really uh, Johnny on the spot on, for, for this one, right when it started going. Now, Simon, I got a, another question for you because looking at the numbers here um, on, on the fundamental side, and, and it, a lot of times we look at that growth of the earnings and of the sales. And SMCI had that in, in spades. It just, I mean, quarter after quarter, triple digit earnings growth, double digit sales growth. And these were not small numbers. I mean, this was, you know, uh, you know, 1.6 billion, 1.8 billion. Um, but then do you have any idea what happened this last quarter? I mean, it certainly didn't seem to phase the stock. Uh, you know, the, the stock still went up on this last earnings report, but it went from triple digit to 5% earnings growth and negative 5% on the revenue growth. Any idea of, uh, is the party over? Uh, the party's not over, but but the biggest drinkers at the party are slowing down a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, they, they did have one undisclosed customer. It's either Apple or it's Meta Platforms, Facebook. Mm. That was 22% of, of revenue in, in the, the best, most festive part of the party that was going on, right? Uh -huh. But these things, these things kind of happen in batches, right? It's not just continually you're always installing new chips. You might go out and say, okay, we're going to spend this much money this quarter on, on data center retrofits or, you know, we're going to upgrade. But, you know, sometimes you see a little bit of lumpiness uh, in a quarter to quarter, depending on the CapEx that you, your biggest customers want to spend. But then complementing that, too, is, you know, I, I don't think that GPT is going away anytime soon. I think Bard or, or, you know, Llama or any of these other uh, large language models are, are slowing down. It actually seems the opposite, like corporations are finally embracing those. 
And if you do that, you've got to have the, the right processors and the right installations into your data center to keep up. Yeah, it's funny because I, I was chatting with my cousin who is a professor over at uh, in Colorado Springs, um, and he's going to be doing a class a little bit on using chat GPT for writing. And um, he was saying that he's not actually uh, using the paid product right now because it's changing so fast, he doesn't want to learn it until right before he teaches oh, the class you know? because there's so many new features coming in. He's like, I don't want to really waste my time too much on something that's going to be very different by the time my class starts <laughs> in, in the fall. <laughs> so um, yeah, very, very, very big on a lot of changes happening. So um, any final thoughts, uh, Eric, uh, Simon, on your on your process here? I was going to call you Erickson. Um, well, well, Nielsen, I, I do. I, you know, my final question is Neil. I mean, Justin, uh, <laughs> you know, it's got to be, um, you kind of look at the OEM revenue of, of Supermicro, not to get too into the weeds, but like look at those big 22% kind of customers because mm -hmm. they're going to be the first ones that are going to embrace the newest, the latest and greatest processors that AMD puts out and that NVIDIA puts out. But then the rest of the market's going to try to keep up with them too, right? So part three of that three-part process is like, you got the innovators, enable the innovators, and then watch the execution for the layer that's more of the mass market. I think that we're going to see a lot more of that with Supermicro, and they're going to add a lot of headcount to their organization in the next couple of years. Okay. Well, thank you for di diving into that case study for us. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how this same process uh, might be used to uncover some new hidden gems that aren't sticking up hundreds of percent. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, and we have Arusha Pires, O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager, who joins us every week. And our guest, our special guest this week is Simon Erickson, uh, who is, you know, just really kind of letting us know about what's happening in AI. Uh, we, we have to mention it five times at least. So Beetlejuice appears uh, or something like that. Um, but he, of course, is the founder and CEO of Seven Investing. And he just kind of told us about his three-step process for finding these hidden gems, finding the trends, um, and, and really kind of, you know, finding those stocks that will benefit from the trends, but not necessarily compete against the big 800-pound gorillas. So Simon, what other trends can you share with us? And uh, you know, some of the stocks that might be uh, uncovered with this process of yours. Okay, well, Justin, I'm done talking about AI. We, we've beaten that. We're, we're going to move on, huh? Right. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll probably throw it in five more times. Just, Thank goodness. Just Thank sure. goodness. Yeah. I hope so. Yep. Yeah. It, it's uh, time for another two-letter acronym, which is EV. EV. Uh, okay. Yeah, right. Okay. This so, is one uh, I'm not familiar with. I have, I'm <laughs> <that's right. laughs> another overused uh, two-letter acronym, which is electric vehicles, EVs. Yeah. Is, uh, you know, another one of these trends that, you know, really has got legs. It's mm -hmm. Every automaker now has pretty much embraced these and is rolling out the next generation of their own electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. Certainly in response to uh, to Mr. Musk, you know, the cage fighter that, that has yeah. become so popular globally, um, that is, uh, you know, Tesla is, is certainly the leading uh, global automaker, at least in brand recognition for EVs, and it's prompted everyone else to follow suit. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting kind of sub-segment of this market that isn't quite as followed. Uh, we, we know that, you know, the lithium-ion batteries and everything that Tesla's doing, but it's kind of interesting because this is a completely different supply chain than the auto industry has gotten used to. Uh, you now have a battery that is feeding the power to the vehicle rather than a gas-powered engine. 
Right. And that has some, some interesting complexities, uh, one of which is you've got to convert the DC power that's produced by that battery into the AC power that would be required to turn the motor. Mm -hmm. And there's a component in that called a traction inverter, uh, which, which does that conversion. You want it to be as efficient as possible. And the rabbit hole I'm leading you into here finalizes with the important uh, context here that if you used silicon carbide material, instead of just regular silicon for the chips that are going into the components that are going into that traction, traction inverter, you can actually get 15% longer range out of your car, your electric vehicle. And mm -hmm. if you're just using silicon base, it's a wide band gap material is, is the important one here. And so Tesla did that. They used silicon carbide. It's in the Model 3. It's out there right now. And now all of the other global uh, automakers are saying, you know, we're going to follow Elon's lead on this. We think he's a pretty smart guy. Where can we get security of supply of silicon carbide? And that's exactly what Wolf Speed is doing. They're building not one, not two, but three global manufacturing facilities uh, to produce the silicon carbide wafers and also the finalized components. And they're getting uh, announcing new deals every month with the global automakers that are just as excited as they possibly can be to roll out next generation electric vehicles in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Now, so, Simon, why why has the stock been struggling then? You know, you have <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, yeah. Because when you see Tesla doing so well and a lot of these other growthier type of stocks doing well, and and uh, Wolfspeed went along with Tesla back in 2020. You know what? Uh, you know what? What's the difference between that uh, that and uh, the previous trend, or or the current trend and the previous trend? Uh, there's two answers. Uh, the first one is that Elon has wielded a double-edged sword, uh, you know, <laughs> live by Tesla, die by Tesla. It was great yeah. when uh, when Tesla came out and they said, you know, we want to buy the silicon carbide materials from Wolfspeed. We're going to put them into the Model 3. At their presentation earlier this year, they revealed they're going to cut back on the silicon carbide content in their next generation vehicles by up to 75%. Now, there's an interesting context in that. Of course, that caused the stock to sell off. Nobody wants to hear your largest customer is cutting back on their usage. Mm -hmm. But it's also likely they were using too much in the first place. And the new designs that they have for a more mass market affordable uh, electric vehicle that Tesla wants to introduce would be more on par with what Wolf Speed is working with other automakers today. So it's, and the Model 3 is still going to you know, continue to use what it's using. It's still globally selling very well. So Elon is one part of that too. The second is this is a investment cycle for Wolfspeed. You know, they're spending a ton of money on those facilities. And of course, there's going to be hiccups along the way when you're spending billions of dollars in North Carolina, in New York, in Germany, all across the world. Uh, it's, you're going to have your hands full and there's going to be a lot of money you're going to have to spend on that. And there's going to be some speed bumps. There's going to be some hiccups along that way. But typically, when you're investing very heavily, you're going to harvest that in the next couple of years. That, in my opinion, is when the, mar the market is going to properly recognize the success and the innovation that Wolfspeed's been doing. So still might be a year or two out. It might not happen this quarter or next quarter, but um, certainly some great long-term trends that they're riding here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what happens, uh, like, again, when you when you become dependent so much on uh, a single, <laughs> a single uh, you know, company to uh, kind of produce your your revenues uh, and and you, you kind of hinted at this with SMCI you know some unknown customer you know changed their capex spending and uh, you know that that had a big uh, you know big impact so I guess since you don't always know the workings of behind the scenes what's happening um, how do you kind of protect yourself from that single customer risk 
you sign contracts, you know, you lock in your, your customers to supply contracts where you say, okay, if we're going to build this, you've got to take what you're telling us you're going to, you're going to spend the money for, because mm -hmm. if you're not, then we've got to use it for somebody else that wants to have the security of supply. And that, that's exactly what Wolf Speed has been doing. They try to make it hard to, you know, phase out their materials. You try to lock them into supply agreements. A lot of their customers have actually given them financing to build, you know, the CapEx required to build those production facilities. But, um, if you're if you're an automaker, you don't want to go shop around. You want to find somebody that's giving you an acceptable price point, and then you know you're going to get that every single month to manufacture your cars. Otherwise, you got a lot of uncertainty, and that's really bad when you're trying to roll out new vehicle lines. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think is the catalyst here for uh, the stock to kind of turn around? I mean, it certainly had a strong move off of its bottom so far, uh, but you know, whereas now you know, so many more stocks are above their 200 day moving average lines, above their 50 day moving average lines. Whereas before, I mean, it was like dismal, you know, everything was below those, those long-term moving average lines. Now Wolf Speed is kind of, you know, uh, among the minority uh, in terms of being below those lines. So what, what do you wait for to, you know, show that things are turning around for it? Or do you just kind of buy it low and hope? Yeah, there's a couple things. I mean, just I'm looking at the chart that's up right now that it shows Wolf Speed's market cap of $8 billion. And they've put um, publicly, they've made statements that they're expecting, I believe the number was $4 billion in revenue and a 20% operating margin by 2027, fiscal 2027. So still a couple of years out. Got to get those new facilities they're building to start uh, producing the volumes. But if that's true, you know, where you're actually producing $800 million in, in operating income that's recurring and you're only at an $8 billion market cap today, the stock is completely mispriced. There is no credit being given to what management has been very comfortable enough to say publicly that they think they're going to do. And again, a lot of that's not just throwing darts. You've got long-term contracts to support it. I think that the catalyst is when you actually start seeing these, these facilities hitting the, the, um, the strategic goals you know, of getting them up and running in time. Uh, like I said, it might not be exactly by the month that they initially had said, but as long as they're getting them online and they're actually manufacturing the new wafers, that's going to be a lot of um, a lot of optimism, in my opinion, from the market. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit um, and let's talk finance. Now, we've got a lot of banks that are going to be kicking off earnings season coming up. Um, and then also, not just in the financial, you know, the, the bank sector, which definitely got hard hit in March, uh, especially those regional banks. But what about with trading? Uh, let's take a look at CME Group. And what is it about this company that is intriguing to you? This is a very different one than, uh, than Supermicro or Wolfspeed, right? CME is, is very established, not a dis small cap disruptor. This is a company that's operating some of the largest exchanges uh, mm -hmm. in the world. You can trade everything. You can trade eggs. You can trade, um, you can trade Bitcoin, you know, whatever you want to, Justin. You know, they've got ways to, to execute those contracts. And the thing that's interesting to me that I like about this one as a contrarian is we hear so much about rising interest rates and the macro working as a headwind to so many companies. You know, oh, interest rates are going to make your capital more expensive. You can have a pullback on the accelerator of your growth plans. You've got to lay off employees, whatever it might be. Uh, those same macro related trends are actually a huge tailwind for a company like CME Group who's trading the contracts so that companies can hedge their bets. They can actually make money speculating on the future price of the two-year treasury or the future price of Bitcoin or eggs or whatever they're wanting to, to bet on. And 
when you see something like the the options related to the two-year treasury up 877 percent year over year it shows that that speculation that's driving the the average daily volumes of this business uh, to new highs every every single quarter right and so what i'm looking at you know you, you're kind of seeing these 13 million average daily daily volume contracts um, for CME group in the most recent quarter kind of hitting new highs in a lot of those uh, those areas that they've traditionally served and then some new ones like the crypto and you know as they're keeping up with how markets are changing out there it's kind of a nice contrarian play that if you want to get away from the volatility that's punishing so many of these companies this might be a way to hedge your own investment risks by by investing in a company that benefits from them right uh, and I mean yeah, certainly this, I mean <laughs> this has like a beta of 42 so it, it, it's pretty amazing at how uh, low volatility. Uh, I, I remember CME being a much more volatile stock in the past. Mm-hmm. It's fat and, and the leverage too, Arusha, right? Like revenue was only yeah. up 7%, but earnings per share were up 25%. You can see that even yeah. just a little tick up with an efficient operator like this can fall to the bottom line very quickly. That's true. Well, it's funny how it, it seemed like, gosh, what was it like a- almost two decades ago where it seemed like a lot of these market um, market makers and, you know, the, the exchanges started having IPOs of their own. Right. I mean, the, I, I remember you had ICE, you had uh, CME. Um, I, 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 th- I feel like you had some of the specialists even uh, coming coming public. Um, but I guess, you know, after that initial really strong move and I, I mean i mean you know cme um if, if you look at the monthly you can just see this nice steady move um you know over over almost the last decade um and then before that i mean in 2002 i mean it just just skyrocketed and it wasn't alone i mean there was ice you know intercontinental exchange and um again a lot of these a lot of these players that that did very well so now that they're i guess a little bit more mature What's the expectation of, you know, I guess we, a lot of times we're looking for that new thing, right? Now it seems like old, old stuff. So what, what's new here, though? Uh, Bitcoin uh, volumes were up 22% year over year. That's kind of, you know, financial markets are changing. We're still, all still trying to figure out cryptocurrencies. Speaking of hype <laughs> cycle, I think they got a little overhyped there a couple of years ago. You remember it, I'm sure, Justin. Everyone's <laughs> talking about Coinbase and, you know, everyone had a crypto token. I think there was an Arusha coin at some point in there. I don't remember. <laughs> but, you know, it, it calmed down a little bit, but you can still see the speculation. If, if you want to hedge bets where, you know, if a price of Bitcoin falls, you've got to hedge that in a certain way. If the price of oil goes up, you want to hedge that. If the price of whatever it is that, you know, is, is impacting your business, you want to hedge that away. And I don't think that, that CME is going anywhere. I just think that it's a contrarian bet right now for investors yeah. to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing. That That's the new. It's that condition in the industry, which um, a lot of people forget that it doesn't have to be a new product. I mean, heck, there were, you know, when fertilizers were having their run, it's not like fertilizers new, right? It was a condition in the industry that was driving it. Um, okay, let's go ahead and go to our last stock. And uh, it's, it's, it's an old favorite that's starting to get people's attention again. Upstart, uh, ticker symbol UPST. Um, is this... Uh, can, can we throw AI into this one? Or <laughs> I hope so. I, it's been at least three minutes. <laughs> I, I know. I feel like it's been a while. But uh, what, what's what's going on with Upstart? And uh, is did it get overdone on the upside and the downside? Uh, what's what's happening here? Well, well look at this uh, this mountain for skiers right here, Justin. Look at the chart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're going straight <laughs> up uh, right when it came to the public markets. There, you know, late 2020. 
kind of early 2020, when you see it going from $20 a share up to $400 a share, right? You, you take the gondola up, you know, you take the ski lift up to get up the mountain on that one. And then you, and then you fly down the other way as it's going from $400 back Black to diamond skiing right there. <laughs> right. Fun, fun to go downhill skiing. Not so much fun um, when you're losing money on it. But yeah. certainly, uh, it, it, this is a stock that got ahead of itself because of the status of the, the economy. Uh, when interest rates were zero and everybody wanted to borrow, volumes were, oh, and, and apologies, a, a little bit of step back for Upstart. Upstart wants to replace the FICO score yeah. as using AI to uh, deem the creditworthiness of people that want to borrow money. Mm-hmm. And so banks want to hire Upstart to go out and find people to lend money to, make sure that it's a good loan that they're going to be making, and then, um, and then process it instantaneously, you know, a matter of seconds rather than days or weeks. Um, so it's kind of rewriting kind of uh, the way that FICO and the traditional banking has, has done things. But again, well, you know, now, because, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, well Simon, the, like now one of the things, because that was kind of the, the exciting thing is like they, they had this black, black box and they could uh, you, you could use like the upstart credit scores to market to more people and uh, who weren't necessarily deemed credit worthy with FICO. And so, yeah, you know, you, there's more loans to, and opportunities for the banks to make. Uh, but ha, but then, of course, then the whole black box thing kind of got criticized when it was falling apart. Has any of that changed uh, o- over the last few months where it's now starting to excite the market again uh, with Upstart? Are they becoming maybe a little bit more transparent or showing a little bit more proof that it's uh, lowering the risk? It's very highly uh, correlated to the market, Arusha. You know, okay. this is one okay. that the um, they haven't lost their partnerships with the banks that they have, right? They're actually signing okay. up a lot more. You know, these kind of regional banks that maybe don't have the the, the headcount or the manpower to, to build their own AI algorithms to find people. They'd say, hey, I'd really like to hire you upstart to do this for me. And I just want to make sure you're giving me really good loans. And so the first really good metric is you're getting more and more partnerships, more and more um, credit unions and banks and things like this are signing online. And, and then the second is they've maintained their pricing, right? When you look at contribution margins of, of more than 40%, even in the down part of the cycle, uh, banks still see value in, in paying them uh, the couple hundred dollars per new loan. So, so that's really encouraging too. It's just been a, a factor of fewer loans because the, the macro has been suffering here. And I think that that's what's going to turn around here. I think that's the the key for Upstart is um, they've got a valuable solution. It just was very highly exposed to the macro. And even interestingly, too, you know, this is another contrarian opinion on this. But I think that a lot of the things that we have associated as headwinds that would work against Upstart are hidden tailwinds that would actually benefit this company in the long term. You think about the the economy, challenging time for the macro, right? People are getting laid off. Uh, interest rates are going higher. Uh, it's it's may, maybe people don't have full time jobs that you need to check those those checklists for for a traditional bank or a FICO score, things like that. Maybe people now are working gig economy jobs. Maybe they're doing just fine in terms of income, but they don't have the most important things that FICO would would ding you for. And so, even as the economy is changing and and people are finding new opportunities out there, that it could be a, a a hidden blessing in disguise for a company like Upstart, which is rewriting its entire way of, of deeming the credit worthiness of borrowers. Kind of an interesting out of the box way of thinking about it, especially as the economy improves. And maybe, just maybe, this becomes the new way that that we get an auto loan or a or a home loan or any kind of loan that we that we want to borrow. It could be a super automated way of doing it in seconds rather than days or weeks. Mm-hmm. So when you were talking before about kind of your process and 
you know, not getting into the cage match with Elon Musk or whatever 800 pound gorilla that you choose. Um, not meaning that Musk is an 800 pound gorilla. So don't, no, don't that's going viral me. now. Justin, yeah. Don't, don't, don't at me, Musk. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, are they coming after FICO is, is FICO the 800 pound gorilla that they're jumping in the cage match with and saying, Hey, we're, we've got something better and we're going to try and replace you. And they are to be clear, Justin, but I would spin that just a little bit that they're partnering with the banks because the banks mm-hmm. are their partners and they say, you the know, banks we, are the gorillas. And Upstart doesn't want to be a bank. You know, they don't want to go out and originate their own loans. They want to say, we want to make this easier for you to do it on, on your own. We want to be a partner that goes out and originates. And then you're the one that figures out, you want to keep that loan on your balance sheet. Do you want to sell it off to investors? Choices used. We're, we're going to pass the torch to you to figure this one out. We just want to be um, your partner that gets you better loans and then the door in the first place. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been great stuff, Simon. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And, um, you know, just for folks that maybe aren't familiar uh, as, as much with your stuff, uh, you, you're you on Twitter, right? At 7Innovator, and that's the number 7Innovator. Um, where else can people find information uh, about kind of your analysis here, Simon? Yeah, thank you, Justin, for the opportunity to be on the show and also to chat just about it. 7investing.com is our website. Uh, every month we make seven stock recommendations. We've lowered the bar as much as we possibly could to get people in and, and looking at those and interacting with our site. It's a $1 trial to get started. And then, uh, you know, our normal membership for the year is $299 a year. But for Justin, for you and Arusha, I've used promo code IBD that would get you $100 off in perpetuity. Awesome. Uh, 33% oh, nice. discount for anybody who uses IBD at 7investing.com slash subscribe. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, uh, again, for people that, uh, you know, really like the way that Simon, you know, gets into those weeds. And I'm sure you probably have some of those 23 charts that you mentioned uh, on, on, on your website to, to share with folks. So, Well, and uh, Justin, uh, and, and very quickly, uh, uh, it's not just written information, right, Simon? You, 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 there, there's videos there of, of mm-hmm. you, your, your whole team discussing and debating ideas, which, which I thought was uh, uh, pretty interesting. So it, there's a lot of value there, especially for that price. We have cage matches, Arusha. You know, just as much as are, we do cage matches to fight it out for the for the what stocks we pick. But we are very interactive, right? We're a mission-driven company. We want to empower investors to make better decisions, and that includes subscriber calls where we talk on video live with them. So we're having a lot of fun. We're really enjoying the journey here. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here, Simon. Always a pleasure. Thanks very much. Okay, and on the show next week, uh, we're going to have Tom Sosnoff. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Tom Sosnoff, he is, um, you know, he's someone that I admire a lot. Uh, we've uh, seen him at money shows. He, uh, you know, started up Think or Swim, uh, Tasty Trade. He is just uh, the serial entrepreneur that has done so much. So we're going to be getting some insights from him. Uh, probably talk a little bit about the options market since he is uh, an absolute genius in that regard uh so yeah justin you're, you're gonna have to promise all of us not to geek out too much on the options with tom <laughs> right? okay okay i mean let's yeah. keep it at a, a level that i can understand that that, that, that it is we're very excited to have tom ne- next week but I, I don't want you guys going too far in the weeds you know here yeah. okay we'll try but no promises so uh definitely tune in for that thank you so much for tuning in this week and we'll see you next time take care Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode.
This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.